I apologize if I failed to mention our service this evening at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. We'll take our text this morning from just one verse in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18. It says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. God's Word warns us over and over of the danger of pride, the perils of pride, the results of pride. Pride always leads to destruction. God's Word gives us a list of things God hates, the sins He hates, and right at the top of that list is this thing called pride. In fact, pride is so disgusting to God that He said even a proud look is an abomination to Him. Pride was the original sin. It's what got Lucifer and his angels kicked out of heaven. It's the thing that caused Adam and Eve to try to exalt themselves above God by disobeying His commandments. So, you know, the end result of pride is always the same. This week I was reading a little about the ship, the Titanic. You know, the wreckage of that ship was discovered on September 1st, 1985. There's been a lot of fascination with that uh, saga of that ship and what happened. There have been a lot of movies that have been made and documentaries and things. You know, this ship left dock in 1912 from England to New York. It was supposed to be a six-day transatlantic journey. They were trying to set some kind of a speed record. This ship was the greatest sailing vessel of its time. It was opulent and luxurious. It was really the state-of-the-art technology that that they had at that time. Um, The ship was thought to be unsinkable. But what ended up as this maiden voyage of this magnificent ship ended up being the worst maritime disaster in U.S. history. On the night of April 15th, it ended up sinking and 1,500 people perished. As a result, they've done studies and research and they've put pieces together. They've taken old transcripts. They've studied the ruins of this ship to kind of piece together what happened. And one of the biggest questions or mysteries is what went wrong? What happened that would cause such a disaster? But as you study that account, you realize everything that happened there was driven by pride. Even the name, the Titanic, means huge of great stature or enormous strength of enormous scope, power, or influence. They chose the name Titanic from the Titans, which were a group of Greek mythological characters or or beings that were huge and powerful. They were giants. So just the very name itself denoted an attitude of arrogance and pride. Clear down from the architects to the designers to the captain of the ship to its crew and passengers, they felt like the ship was unsinkable. One person asked one of the deckhands as they began the voyage, is this ship really unsinkable? And it's reported that he responded by saying, lady, even God himself couldn't sink this ship. 
So that tells you the kind of attitude there was behind this massive ship. Reminds me of a verse in Isaiah 2, verse 8. It says, Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. So they had complete confidence in this vessel that was made by man, designed by man. Felt like it was too brilliantly designed and it couldn't sink. Well, we know God hates pride. Pride is that thing again that will cause us to exalt ourselves above God. Pride is that thing that makes a person think that they can live independent of God. And again, as Satan tempted Eve there in the garden, he told her, uh, of course, he twisted the truth and he said, Hath God really said? He didn't mean you're not supposed to eat of that fruit because he knows that in the day that you do it, you'll be as God's understanding good and evil. He didn't necessarily say you'll be above God, but he led her to believe you'll be as God. You'll need have no need for God. You won't have any dependence on God because you'll be equal to God. That's what pride does. Pride keeps us from acknowledging our need of Him. That's why pride is so dangerous. 1 Corinthians 10.12 gives us another warning. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Where take heed means to be warned. Take note. You know there's no room for self-sufficiency in the gospel. I thought of the testimony of an older brother in Woodlake. He's passed away now, but... For many years of his life, he was not saved. He was born and raised in a Christian home. His father was a minister. He saw miracles in that home, and he knew the truth. But he said as a young man growing up, he just wasn't interested. He thought he could just somehow make it on his own. And we got to be of age, and he left that home. He said for many, many years, he didn't attend church at all. And he said he made a deal with God one day. He said, God, if you don't bother me, and I won't bother you with my problems. So for many years, he lived independently of God. But you know, as he got older, his health began to fail. His life began to fall apart. And he remembered that foolish arrangement he made with God, and he humbled himself, and he called on God, and he repented, and the Lord saved him. Later in life, he was after he'd been uh, retired, I believe he was in his late 50s, you know, waited a long time to humble himself. That's the one regret he had is that he didn't yield to the Lord sooner. But he learned you can't live independently of God. That's what pride will cause us to do. You know, that pride and arrogance was that thing that made those people think that Titanic was invincible. You know, it caused them to take risks they wouldn't have normally taken. Pride will do the same thing spiritually. Pride will cause people to take chances and take risks that they wouldn't normally take. Brother Darrell read the account of King Nebuchadnezzar there in the book of Daniel, the fourth chapter. If you read the third chapter, you realize that Nebuchadnezzar had seen some amazing things. He had seen God deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of that fiery furnace said as he looked in there, he saw a fourth man like the Son of God. Jesus Christ himself was in that fiery furnace 
with those Hebrew children. He made a decree that all the land would serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we see his attitude before they went into that fiery furnace as they were brought before him. And he said, who is this God that will deliver thee? Of course, they didn't compromise. They went through that fire and God proved himself to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew who God was, knew what God could do. Yet as you read in that fourth chapter, Nebuchadnezzar became lifted up. God showed him in a dream, a tree, and in this uh, tree all the fowls of the earth uh, made their nest, and the nations found refuge under that tree. And in that dream, that tree was cut down. The branches were cut off, and just the stump remained. And so it troubled him, and he asked Daniel about the interpretation of that dream. And Daniel warned him, he said, you're that tree. You become lifted up. And if you don't humble yourself, God's going to cut you down. We know he said you're going to spend seven years as a wild beast in the field. You know, that was a warning. Nebuchadnezzar had an entire year to ponder that warning. It says, wherefore, O king, this was Daniel's words at the end of that interpretation. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. So we see Nebuchadnezzar had been warned, but that pride caused him to ignore those warnings. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking in his kingdom, boasting about all these things we created, we heard about it. God sent judgment, driven out to dwell among the beasts of the field for seven years. God was incredibly merciful to Nebuchadnezzar. It says, as his understanding came back to him, we read the last two verses of that chapter. It says, at the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride is able to abase. Learned a very, a very painful lesson, but that's what pride will do. It will cause us to take risks. It will cause us to take chances. It will cause us to be presumptuous. David himself said, O Lord, keep thy servant from presumptuous sins. That means taking liberties, overstepping boundaries that God has established. One definition is trusting in the mercy of God without the warrant of a promise. People do that all the time. They think they can just do their own thing, just live their life as they please, independent of God. Yet somehow, when trouble comes, God will offer them this protection. No, that's pride that causes people to do that. Captain John Edwards was the captain of the ship, the Titanic. You know, he chose to continue on his course in spite of repeated warnings of icebergs ahead. Several of the other ships had to travel that way just a few days before were radioing in warnings of massive icebergs that were forming. It says the Titanic received numerous warnings of ice from several ships. They received their first warning on Friday, April 12th. On April 14th, they received no less than seven, seven separate warnings. 
And finally, the last warning came at 1055 by a ship called the Californian. All warning, change your course, slow down, be careful, proceed with caution. Listen to what happened. It says most of these warnings were largely ignored and weren't even delivered to the captain. Amazingly, when they received that last radio warning from the Californian, it says that a man by the name of Jack Phillips was the wireless operator on the Titanic. He angrily responded saying, keep out and shut up because he was busy trying to catch up on sending some frivolous messages for the passengers. Pride. They thought the ship was indestructible, unsinkable. Caused them to ignore those warnings. Pride will do the same to us. God's Word warns us. God's Holy Spirit warns us. The Spirit of the Lord warns us. God uses other people at times to warn us of things that maybe aren't pleasing to the Lord. You know, we can heed those warnings or we can choose to ignore them. Probably all heard the illustration of the battleship and the lighthouse. It's just an illustration, but it makes a pretty good point. tells about a captain who was trying to pilot his warship through the ocean one night and the ocean was shrouded in fog and visibility was very limited. It was very dangerous. And as he was peering out on the horizon, says his worst fears were realized when a bright light shone straight ahead. It appeared to be a vessel on a collision course with his ship. To avert disaster, he quickly radioed the oncoming vessel. This is Captain Jones, his voice crackled over the radio. Please alter your course 10 degrees south. Over. To the captain's amazement, the foggy image did not move. Instead, he heard back on the radio, Captain Jones, this is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north. Over. Appalled at the audacity of the message, the captain shouted back over the radio, Private Johnson, this is Captain Jones, and I order you to immediately alter your course 10 degrees south. A second time, the oncoming light did not budge. With all due respect, Captain, came the private's voice again. I order you to alter your course immediately 10 degrees north. Angered and frustrated that this impudent sailor would endanger the lives of his men and crew, he growled over the radio, Private Johnson, I can have you court-martialed for this. For the last time, I command you on the authority of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. The private's final transmission was chilling. Captain Jones, sir, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. I think it makes a pretty good illustration. You know, God's Word is like a lighthouse. God's Word, it says, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God's truth, if we follow it, if we chart our course by it, will guide us safely through life. When we obey God's Word, we avoid shipwreck. You know, God's truth, it's like that lighthouse. He's not going to change His location or His Word to accommodate us. We must change or conform our lives to what God would have us to do. You know, sometimes that may require a change of direction. But God is faithful to show us. Isaiah 30 Verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a voice behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. 
when you turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left. So we want to heed the warnings in God's Word. We want to listen to the Spirit of the Lord when He reveals Himself to us. We want to be quick to respond and obey. And you know, if you do that, you'll avoid shipwreck in your life. It was discovered later, for many years, they thought the Titanic actually hit that iceberg head on. That was the theory until uh, it was actually accidentally discovered by a, I believe it was the Navy doing some operations there in the Atlantic, and they discovered the wreckage. And as they began to study that wreckage, they realized that that uh, theory was false. Instead of hitting an iceberg head on, it scraped along the side of the iceberg, and it said several small tears underwater ripped a hole, ripped some holes in the hole of that ship. It was just a series of small tears, largely unnoticed. Matter of fact, one man said that the whole size of all of those tears combined would be about the size of a doorway, a single doorway. Yet that something that small sunk that unsinkable ship. It wasn't one huge gas, it was gash, it was several smaller holes that weren't immediately invisible. You know, you can liken those small holes to compromise. A little compromise in a Christian's life. You might think, what's the big deal? Maybe they go unnoticed for a while. Share something here. It says, small damage, invisible to most, can sink a great ship. And small deviations from the moral principles of God's Word are even more dangerous, for they carry Eternal consequences. Verses says that the little foxes spoil the vines. You know, God's word calls us to a life of holiness, not compromise. Think about that account in Judges chapter 16 of Samson. Really a tragic story if you read his life. You know, God set Samson aside for a special purpose. Samson was a Old Testament type of of sanctification. His parents had uh, vowed him to the Lord and they placed him under a Nazarite vow and God had a special call on Samson's life to be a judge and a deliverer of Israel to deliver him from the Philistines. So we see there was a special call placed on Samson's life from the time he was just an infant. He was consecrated to the Lord. There were certain things he wasn't supposed to do. So says no razor would come upon his head and he uh, wouldn't drink any strong drink or drink anything of the vine. This was something that set him apart. But as you read his life, you see at the very beginning, even on an early, at an early stage of his life, he began to compromise. He began to do things that uh, he knew wasn't pleasing to the Lord, always presumptuous, thinking God would help him and be with him. Well, we know he met Delilah. And the Philistines came and they offered her money to find out where Samson's great strength lied. And so she began to, so she began to press on him with her words and she uh, wearied him till his soul was vexed unto death. He began to compromise. You know, she even told him, she said, tell me Samson where your great strength lies so that we can afflict you. That's not the start of a healthy relationship. Not by any stretch. Samson should have 
been warned. But you know what? He, he just he thought it was a big game, and he began to play around. Well, he said, well, if you buy me with seven green wits that have never been dried, I'll be like other men. So what did she do? She did it. Of course, when the Philistines came upon him, he broke those wits. He told her, if you buy me with new ropes, I'll be like other men. And, of course, she tried that. But, you know, compromise is progressive. You realize pretty soon, he said, if you weave my hair in seven locks and tie it to the beam. You see, he was getting closer and closer to the source of his strength. She was messing with his hair, and that was part of that vow. The strength wasn't in his hair, but it was in that vow that that represented. And, and she began to wear him down. You know, every time he compromised, he gave up a little ground to the enemy. Till finally, he told her, if you shave my head, I'll be like other men. And sure enough, it's exactly what she did. And as she said, the Philistines are upon thee. Judges 16, verse 20. Says, and he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. That is so sad. Didn't even realize that the Spirit of the Lord had left him till it was too late. But that was because of compromise, constant compromise in his life. And he found himself in a very awful situation. We don't have to end up that way. We don't have to compromise, you know. We don't have to end up shipwrecked. By God's grace, we can have the strength to avoid compromise. By yielding and humbling ourselves, we can allow the Lord to chart our course. Word of God tells us, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. You know, there's some wonderful promises to those who will humble themselves. Psalm 138, verse 6, says, Though the Lord be high, and yet hath he res- though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. It says the Lord has respect unto the lowly. You know that word respect? is an act of giving particular attention to or consideration to, a high or special regard to feel admiration for. Think about that. God has an admiration for those that are humble. The God of heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth, condescends and actually has respect unto those that are lowly and humble. What a wonderful promise. You know, when we humble ourselves, we put ourselves in a position where God can help us. Humility gets God's attention. It causes God to hear. Psalm 10, verse 17 says, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. God bends his ear to those that are humble, those that will say, God, I need your help. God, I give up. God, I surrender. Lord, please help me. God will hear that prayer. God will help you and strengthen you. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Do you need to be lifted up this morning? Are you discouraged? Maybe you feel defeated? Humble yourself. God will lift you up. Isaiah 57.15 says that the Lord will revive the heart of the humble and revive the spirit of the contrite ones. The key word there is revive. God will revive you if you'll humble yourself. 
But I think the greatest promise is that the Word of God tells us God will give grace unto the humble. Grace is that unmerited divine assistance given to mankind, not only for their regeneration, but for their sanctification. God will give you grace. Do you need grace this morning in your life? God will give it to you if you're willing to humble yourself. God will come along. He'll give you that divine assistance that you need. God will help you. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you know all you have to do is humble yourself. Just pray an honest prayer from the depth of your heart. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I give up. Lord, I'm turning control over to you. Lord, I want you to chart my course. God will do that for you. You can be sanctified. Humble yourself. Recognize your need for those experiences. God will give them to you. The Lord wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit. We need power for service. I don't think we're capable of doing all God wants us to do on our own. We need that experience. We need it. Every one of us. We need to be refilled over and over. We need to admit our need. But if we do, God will meet our needs. He'll give us grace. He'll help you. He'll bless you today. Let's sing 551. These altars are open.